what you got there? Uh, I'm drinking Bang. Sponsor us, uh, please. Uh, this is the uh, Peach <laughs> Mango, which is very good. Bang! Is that is that what you're supposed to feel like when you take that first? It's like bang. I feel it, baby. I feel oh, it. Well, I'm I'm I am hungover, friend. Are you? What 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 was going on last night? Holy moly! We went to the uh, uh, to the Built to Spill show uh, locally at Saturn uh, band. I've loved my whole whole life. I mean, it was amazing. I again, I always encourage people go see live music. It just it's so transformative. And I go as much as I possibly can, you know, and, and, and luckily I live somewhere where a lot of acts that I love come through pretty often. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm able to do that and, and uh, see them in a club space and stand right at the stage and just, you know, I mean, there's just nothing like it, man. I, it's, it it's, 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 it is, it's rocking out. It's cathartic at the end of the week. You know, and before I know it, I've downed nine Guinnesses and I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, yeah, yeah this is the greatest <laughs> band ever. Yep. Uh, no, I mean, that happens. And there's something, you know, you're right. There's something about uh, the primalness of uh, or the primal nature of a live performance, whether it's music, mm-hmm. theater, uh, ballet, you know, or dance or any kind of like live performance. There's like a primal nature to it. And it does something. It's not that it's not that I'm privileging it over, you know, media or anything like that, but it's, but it just produces a different effect if you're, you know, if you're in the right place. And so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm totally, I, I feel you on that. I mean, just sure. sharing again, and we talk about this with uh, film experience of going to the theater and seeing films too. It's just, there's just something non quantifiable about being scared together at a horror film or standing in, you know, there's 200 other people around me and we're all singing, you know, along to the band. I mean, it's just in the band's feeding off that, you know, and they're like doing breaks and, you know, all that stuff like showmanship, you know, just, you just don't get the, I mean, I, I understand why people don't like that. Don't like going to live shows, but I, at the same time, I'm just like, how can you not? Yeah, you it's it's the same thing as like I think with any almost with any live sporting of like a sporting event mm-hmm. or um you know I mean there is just a and you're right it's difficult to quantify but there's that communal kind of sharing of like when everybody feels the same way about something mm-hmm. that happens or there's those moments where you you have uh, uh the shared like yeah you know this is this is what life is about you know this is great mm-hmm. stuff great to, we're living our best life you know that kind of um celebratory uh kind of aspect of it i love it i love it i was Don't gonna say good enough we uh uh you and i went to the tool show a number of years ago yeah. now and uh that's a different though that's like that's like a cinematic art project experience in a yeah. in, in a very large venue but i mean they had 4k projectors and it was it yeah, was it's amazing. hard to describe what a tool concert is like for those who don't or who haven't been or who you know because you mm-hmm. hear their music and um it gives you like you know visuals in your head anyway mm-hmm. when you're listening to it and so when you're there the, vi- the especially the last show that we saw from them uh you know the visual component was just incredible man you know you just it just just lulls you in it complements their music so great and um you know, everybody, and that's, that's the other, another cool thing about being at a tool concert is everybody's chill. Like everybody just wants oh, to, we're all sitting like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, there's no craziness. There's no shenanigans. 
nobody's body surfing through the crowd. You know, it's just um, everybody is just uh, feeling the same vibe. You know, it's 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 an awesome experience for sure. For yeah, I mean, sure. well, we're watching the show like it's yeah. a it's a it's a performance and again i can't yeah. I, like you said it's tough to describe it uh and and think you know tool's been very uh adamant about people not filming at their shows so that, that right. it, it maintains the experience for everybody so i can't even tell you to go out and, and see but if you saw someone's shitty cell phone footage anyway it's it's not even close not like, doing it justice at all it really mm-hmm. isn't Oh, well, we are Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, we got a theme show this week. We decided Woo! to, yeah, we decided to us. crack the can on a theme. Um, and uh, for our first theme show, uh, we chose uh, uh, the work of, of Paul Schrader. Um, I watched The Card Counter from 2021 starring Oscar Isaac and Dr. Watson watched First Reformed from 2017 starring Ethan Hawke. Now, I will say this about doing this type of theme show. Even though we watched these specific films, they're really just sort of going to, I think, serve as a way to get into Schrader, right? Mm. Like into, into having some other conversations because his work is so connective. Like it's just, and, and he's, he's one of the last remaining working seventies auteurs, you know, from, from that class of the new generation, you yep. know, and, and still actually ha- working with micro budgets and not, you know, having a lot to work with, you know, he really is doing his work. So uh, I, I'll kick this off with, with talking a little bit about the card counter. Um, I, I had heard about this film. I, I I had planned to go see it, and then I just missed. You know, I missed my window mm-hmm. uh, to go see it, and I was really disappointed because I I you know I haven't seen had the chance to see that many Paul Schrader films in the at the cinema. So right, right. Uh, and and I think one of the things is that he's very cinematic. Uh, in in his 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 shot construction and in everything else, and that that comes through in his screenplays. Um, so the card counter is really classic Schrader as far as like you've got a very uh disturbed protagonist uh who's carrying a lot of demons and a lot of baggage and wants to wants to make a change in his life and 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 do all this um what was the most uh interesting aspect of of this go around with the Schrader uh uh protagonist was like uh this movie is really about Abu Ghraib um really Yes. And Oscar yes. Isaac is playing someone who was an MP at Abu Ghraib oh. and was trained in the art of torture, like torturing people. Um, and he was trained by Willem Dafoe's character. And yeah, it that's, you know, he, you start to put the connective tissue together with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was really surprised also at the uh, uh, choice. He, he goes to a fisheye lens uh for going back in time to abu Ghraib through oscar isaac whether he's having a, a dream or he's having a thought about it I, I what do you you know i'm not a big fish eye lens person what what do you think i mean it- well it depends uh on the context of its use i mean my initial thought is that it's kind of comical these days because of how it's so much it's so used in like you know with cell phones and and other kinds of 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 everyday devices, you know, so I'm, I'm not sure if it has the same kind of 
disorienting effect that it used to have when it was you know kind of first coming onto the scene because it's just so standard every day now you can do that kind of effect so it's you see it in a lot of social media so it it can it can arguably come across as comical but i'm i'm sure that he tried to incorporate it in a in a meaningful way oh no it's very it's it's nightmarish you know as as he's trying to like you know how it does the bow out in the curve right right yeah, it, stretches so it looks like it's yeah. it looks like when you're moving with constant movement like it sort of does a almost weird 360 kind of like ballish around kind like of a thing. wraparound yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah this is an interesting uh, entry in his canon also because he with some uh, with other filmmakers i see of 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 a certain age group they're very concerned about us never forgetting about what went down during the bush presidency even the characters talk about that a great deal. At one point, Oscar Isaac's character says, nothing can justify what we did. Like he's, he's talking openly about it. Um, well, he's right. Know, <laughs> although the William, the Willem Dafoe character is just like, you know, we'll move on. You know, it's just like, you know, this is, this, this happened. I'm sorry. You got busted for it. You know, he went, you know, the Oscar Isaac character goes to prison uh, and Willem Dafoe's character does not. Right. So the people uh-huh. who got blamed, uh, uh, Schrader does that interesting thing that Errol Morris did in his standard operating procedure documentary, which was uh, Morris took, remember the photos from Abu Ghraib. Yes. And Schrader went upset and he says, well, the people in the photos are the ones that went to prison. Their superiors did not. Right. And that's what he builds this around. Oh, like he's okay. saying that Oscar Isaac paid for something. His character paid for something that somebody else should have paid for. Uh, not that he he was, you know, innocent in any of it, you know, but, you know, the people who also needed to be punished were not punished. Hmm. So we now it, it becomes a strange, uh, you know, again, this is a Schrader thing with his protagonist where they begin to wrestle with each other. It's like, yes. Well, should I should I should I write this or should I let this go? And uh, yeah, he writes it. <laughs> in that way and has no problems uh by the end of the movie doing so um you know this is this is not a dynamic movie but it's as you often say which i always enjoy your phrasing is like this is a world and once you're like settled into it Mm. you're in it man he's so good at that that. i mean talk very good at it so so i you know so we're so we're talking about schrader's protagonist can you talk a little bit about that like just as as far as if you want to start with first reformed or do you want to like go back a little bit further no i think i can give a little bit of backstory here and then it'll help you know inform Mm -hmm. both of us uh if you want um schrader is very focused on um what i would call a man alone in a room like Mm -hmm. those kinds of stories like he's very focused on solitude contemplation um the spiritual aspects of cinema which i can get to in just a second but like uh, you know he's all of his protagonists are going to be facing some sort of crisis of faith right there's there's mm-hmm. something that they are having to, to to there's an internal struggle or demon going on and it usually is somehow connected to some element or form of uh, of spirituality um uh schrader of course went to seminary school um you know before he became a filmmaker um he's very much raised in in a in a in a world of faith 
um, and and um, religion and um, Calvinist, I believe. And so mm-hmm. um, he uh, he wrote a book that uh, was very influential in 1972 called Transcendental Style in Film, mm-hmm. where he was looking at uh, really kind of arguing for this style that he had detected basically in the works of uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer, Robert Bresson mm-hmm. and Ozu and mm-hmm. a few others. Um, but basically it's, it's the argument that if you let the camera be still and that if you don't, uh, manipulate the regular machinations of cinema, like sound and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, lavish uses of color and stuff like that, that, um, what, what is allowed to happen is the spiritual aspects of movies comes forth and so it's kind of like um a way to sort of capture the soul right um Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's he's he's very detailed i remember reading that book as an undergrad and thinking wow like never even thought about that at all uh and then it it encouraged me to go watch you know films by by dreyer and brisson and and some of those other um uh international you know cinema filmmakers how how close is it to the to the idea too of the of the god thing in cinema like yeah yeah yeah, the God moment, you know, like yeah, I mean, or yeah, the holy moment, I should the say, holy like, moment, yeah, yeah, which is connected to another, um, uh, you know, cinema theorist philosopher, um, uh, Bazoon from the mm-hmm. from the era where he was writing about the omniscient and omnipotent and omniscient character that uh, the camera can play. Uh, this idea that, um, you know, if you sort of get out of the way and just let the camera do its simple recording, that it will capture in a natural way just spiritually what is unfolding in that sort of reality of the moment um so it's very um it's it's a very distinct style in cinema that's built upon stillness Mm. and silence which are all very of course religious kinds of um acts uh you know there's there's so much that's written in religion about, you know, having time to have quiet prayer or quiet meditation or, or solitude to, you know, to sort of get in tune, right, um, mm-hmm. with, uh, with whatever is godly in that particular religion. So, um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think that Schrader is constantly sort of trying to play out ways with different protagonists, obviously in different worlds. But he's I think that's part of how he's able to world build so well is that he has this very distinct style that he wants to use and he sticks with it. And so, you know, if you're impatient with it, that's fine. But like eventually you're going to just get lulled into that world Mm -hmm. if you stick with it um, because he's consistent with it. And that's Mm -hmm. what we tell our students all the time in production. It's like, I don't care what style you use, just be consistent with it because the audience will accept whatever conceit that you Mm -hmm. give them as long as you don't mess with them. And as long as you stay consistent with what you're doing, you know, in terms of your, of your stylistic choices. So um yeah, I mean, I think that's the trick to Schrader is that he he is massively different from mainstream cinema. Um, it's it's antithetical in a way to the way that we normally think of how cinema should work. Mm-hmm. Lots of cuts, lots of camera mm-hmm. movement, lots of sound effects, lots of, you know, lots of big, shiny things. Very formalist. Right. Whereas, um, you know, Schrader is is really more um, heavily rooted on that sort of reality end of just stillness. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and, and letting the moment unfold, you know, um, in, in front of the camera, not what, uh, sort of getting out of the way, not directing too much, right. Just right. getting out of the way. Yeah. And, and for our listeners. So, so if you wanted to, to, to start with something with Paul Schrader, of course he wrote taxi driver um, and you can go back, but we have to temper that because Scorsese directed it yes. and exactly what you're talking about there's little bits and pieces of that in there. Like there, I remember there's one of my favorite things is De Niro's on the phone and then the camera moves into the hallway and then it moves back. And I'm like, that's, that's a Schrader thing. Like that's yes. not a, that's not a Scorsese thing at all. Yes. Right? But you know, Scorsese's got his, his quick editing styles and his, yes. he likes his, he likes his rough cuts and you know, things like that. So I, I don't know. I don't know how the actual vision of taxi driver is I, I wouldn't say that it's pure schrader i think you're you're hitting on it jeff the if you want to see schrader in taxi driver he's there but it's in the apartment scenes where mm. travis bickle is in his apartment and yes. does that sort of man in his room right i gotta uh, get off the junk i gotta get unclean uh, chemicals in my body you know that 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 whole yep. bit that is 100% Schrader. Now, the, the 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 driving scenes, the you know the the look of New York, the frantic pace of all of that kind of stuff. That's Scorsese. You know, have you ever sure. seen what a 44 Magnum can do to a pussy? <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Taxi Driver, folks, it's you got to see it. You it's, you should. It's it's an American classic uh, mm. for sure. There's a lot of good stuff in that movie. <laughs> so we, but but you know. Schrader breaks through with, I believe he's given his first opportunity. Is it the the Union film uh, um, that he wrote with his brother? I think, I think that's right. Um, I don't uh, have trying to think if the, I, the first Schrader film I saw was as a as him as director was Cat People. Oh his, yeah, that's right. He did Cat remake people. of yeah, of Val Luton's oh, film from the from the uh, from the fifties, and um, that was the first thing I saw. And then um, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. I think I saw before or around that time. But Taxi Driver, of course, was just mm-hmm. written by him. So the first directing gig I think was Cat People that mm-hmm. I saw. That's um, interesting that it because like early eighties, yeah, because that skips hardcore. Right. Yeah, I came to hardcore later, which I absolutely love. I mean, that's an amazing like meditation. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know hardcore, it's a it's a film directed, written and directed by Schrader um, with George C. Scott playing a sort of every man whose daughter gets um, kind of wrapped up in the pornography industry. And mm-hmm. so he is. You know, of course, having a crisis of faith about this, and is and spends the movie trying to sort of track her down and and kind of save her from uh, from the the sinful world that she's kind of fallen into. I think an interesting double feature, Jeff, is like hardcore followed by Taken. Hmm. Liam Neeson. Okay, yeah, the, the, uh, the, no, that know, would be a fascinating <laughs> little little bookend piece. Very different styles, but still, you know, daughter in peril kind of stuff. Um, and and similar with you know pornography, sex trade, that kind of stuff. Very interesting sort of bookend pieces there. So that's one of my assignments for my students. They can choose that as a double feature. No one ever has. Um, <laughs> I don't but, know why uh, not. But it's on the list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they probably see that title hardcore and are immediately like, no. Yeah, they're like, what is that? Uh, 
sticking <laughs> I'm sticking away from that. Uh, but American Gigolo also with That's Richard right. Gere. Yeah, see, yeah. Um, see, see and- as we walk through this too, it, he, he, and we remind ourselves about his filmography, and it's just like, wow, I, you know, and 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 I I've got issues with American Gigolo, but but you know, I I, I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. It's getting yeah. rebooted uh, as a Showtime yeah, series that. with Joe Bernhall. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's, of course, I know you like, um, uh, is it is it Mishima? Oh my God, Mishima Life in Four Chapters. Yeah, is That's, just... I think many people consider that to be his best film. Holy yeah. moly. I, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just, wow. I, I, I just, it's a, it's a, it's a visual tour de force for him also. Like using very minimalistic techniques uh, I I I adore that film. I I ooh ooh we there's a great Criterion edition of it, of course. But I mean, it's it's just I deeply encourage people to watch Mishima Life in four chapters. So I'm looking at my notes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are other Schrader gems that that I love. Okay. If we if we got to this point where we could talk about this stuff, Light of Day from yeah, the Michael J. Fox which film. was a very Michael J. Fox like project that was very anti Michael J. Fox, right? Uh, it's very a career killer. Project. Comfort of Strangers, Light yep. Sleeper, Affliction, mm-hmm. um, which was Nick Nolte's, you know, um, uh, late 90s. Uh, kind of his comeback film, uh, you know. It, it was. It kind of brought him back on the map for sure. Um, and uh, I love this movie called Autofocus. Oh, with, yes. Uh, Greg, Greg Kinnear, Kinnear, which is, of yeah. course, about the, the, the real life story of um, uh, the, the guy from Hogan's Heroes. Bob Crane. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, Bob Crane. And um, then there's another little film that I would challenge people to see that I really liked by him. Uh, They got kind of trashed, but I I really liked it. It was called The Canyons from 2013. And it's got Lindsay Lohan in it. And this was kind of Lindsay Lohan's like, you know, cultural breakdown phase where everybody was kind of, you know, oh, she's, you know, kind of like a Britney Spears kind of episodic thing where she'd sort of gone off the deep end, quote unquote. Right. Um, but that's a that's a really dark little little film that that captures a lot of the essence of kind of uh, the the L.A. sleazy life from uh, mm-hmm. from Laurel Canyons in the canyons uh, in, in in L.A. County. So I, I I would challenge people to go back and find that little gem and be like, whoa, Lindsay Lohan can actually act. This is really interesting. So so what l- let's talk a little bit then about First Reformed, because uh, this okay. is, you know, like his. I don't know, fifth career resurrection, you know, <laughs> you know with First yeah. Reformed and. It's just like, again, as we're listing this and reminding ourselves, it's like he never has gone away. It's just like you just, you know, he just keeps plugging along. And then every now and then the culture catches back up with, you know, he'll he'll make a film that sort of somehow sinks its teeth into the culture. And I think First Reform is a strange one to do that. Um, I, I, I remember sitting there thinking, I was just like, well, yeah, it's a Paul Schrader film. You know, what I mean, I was just like, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but everyone's just yeah. Oh my I've God, seen him do this. first reformed. <laughs> I, like, like they're just now maybe discovering Schrader, right? Yeah. Or, um, or that they've forgotten that that this is kind of his his mo. I, I absolutely love first reformed. Um, I uh, had the Blu-ray. I've listened to the commentary. Uh, have watched all the behind the behind the scenes. Um, I also love Ethan Hawke. I think I've talked about him in a previous episode yeah, with the Black Phone. Yeah. But I, I think Ethan Hawke's a very good actor. Of course, I have strong 
affection for him because of the before trilogy and some other things that he's done. Um, but uh, in First Reformed, it's marketed, uh, it's kind of cracked me up because I was looking at just some of the general synopsis of the of the movie and it's several places called it a thriller it's not a thriller um in any no stretch it of is not a thriller this stretch. is this is i would call first reformed a spiritual melodrama um mm-hmm. and it really is dealing with this idea of discernment versus christianity and uh in, in the movie ethan hawk plays reverend toller who is having a crisis of faith uh he is managing a small flock uh, of uh, of folks in a small church in upstate new york the uh the church actually the construction dates back to the 19th century and they're getting ready to celebrate the 250th uh reconsecration of the uh of the church and uh in the movie we, he meets mary who is um uh, one of the members of of the congregation and Mary is pregnant and she tells him that she needs him to come to the to her home to talk to her husband Michael who is himself having a crisis of faith um and so the reverend does and and what what we find out is that Michael her husband is uh, a very militant environmental activist who has recently been released from prison because he was protesting in Canada and he got arrested and he's uh, also former military. And, um, but, but he's having, you know, he's, he's one of these environmental extremists, right? He's like, you know, we have to strap ourselves to a tree. We have to blow up companies and we have to do all this kind of stuff to sort mm-hmm. of raise awareness of how we're killing our planet. Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, when Reverend Toller interacts with him, there instantly becomes this this sort of debate of Michael saying, how can I bring another child into this world, knowing that this world is going to be so destructive and it's going to, you know, it's not going to end well, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that, that, we're, that we're killing the earth, right? And that eventually the earth is just going to scrape us off like dead skin and, 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 and reboot. Um, again, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The earth is going to be just fine, people. The humans might <laughs> might be scraped away, but the earth will rebuild itself. Um, you know, eventually it'll find a way to scrape us off like dead skin. But Michael is definitely here. And so Reverend Toller then reveals to Michael that, you know, OK, well, uh, I lost my son to the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel guilty for this because I encouraged him to enlist. Mm-hmm. I encouraged him to go because it's what everyone in my family mm-hmm. had done. That also caused the dissolution of his marriage. Uh, and so he himself is dealing with that. So instantly you have this sort of philosophical question that comes out of, of well, what's worse, you know, bringing a child into this world or having one taken from it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, too, too early. Uh, and, and, Reverend Toller is like energized by this conversation with Michael. You know, he's he's like, this is the kind of sort of spiritual fire that I need to to kind of get myself rekindled into um, what really my purpose is, right? Um, and uh, the, the the film becomes this really strong meditation on uh, hope and despair, and how we sort of navigate those the the two bookends of those uh, of those emotions and those states of being and mm. the story really sort of uh, rolls into motion once and this happens really in the start of the second act michael is has committed suicide and mm-hmm. reverend finds his body and 
Um, you know, so what's going to happen with Mary now, right? Because she's with child and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, how, how is this going to progress and move forward? We learned that, that, uh, that, that Michael had planned his funeral. And so to be held at a waste dump site that is intended to call attention to bulk, which is this high energy company mm-hmm. that is skirting environmental regulations. Now, how does that connect back to the church? Well, the CEO of bulk happens to be the biggest contributor and donor to the 250th celebration of the church. He's one of the mm-hmm. sort of leaders of the church. And then once Reverend Toller figures this out, he has this sort of conflict of like, you know, well, somebody's got to do something, you know, Michael just gave his life to, you know, for really this larger purpose of raising awareness about what Balk is doing. And now I'm realizing that Balk is really influencing my church world and my spiritual world. And so somebody has to do something right. And, um, and so uh, really that kind of propels us to the end where a lot of people had issues with the ending. I did not have a single issue with it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was very straighter esque uh, wonderful choices here. So, and I'm, and I'm going to spoil, I'm just going to tell you that at, at the end, uh, Reverend Toller has strapped this suicide vest onto himself underneath his cloak. Uh, the suicide vest was something that Mary found in the garage mm-hmm. before Michael killed himself. So there were, there were warning signs, right. That Michael was really, really mentally uh, uh, struggling with some mental health issues and uh, anyway, so so uh, Reverend Teller had kept this because like we don't need to go to police, we don't need to involve them. I'll just you know we'll 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 take care of this. So he has this, he puts it on, and he's going to wear it into the into the mm-hmm. 250th celebration, right? And he's going to just blow up the church and get, you know the bald guys there. So he's like you know we'll just mm-hmm. we'll just this is what I've got to do. Somebody's got to do something. And he's told Mary not to come to the 250th celebration. Of course, she shows up. Mm-hmm. So he sees this and like instantly takes off the vest and attaches this barbed wire around his, his, you know, his naked body and then puts his, his cloak on over the barbed wire. Mm -hmm. And, and he's getting ready to drink this cup of, of it's a, it's a whiskey cup, but he's got Drano in it and he's about to just basically commit suicide. Mm -hmm. But Mary busts in at the last minute and the glass falls to the ground and he instantly goes to her. And, and then we have this like carnal kind of like they passionately kiss and they embrace and, and it's, it's this real swelling passionate moment. And then the film ends. Yeah. And uh, that is to, to me, that cannot be more transcendental and, and, and consistent with what Schrader likes to do. And I'll, I'll share this with you here. This is a quick quote from uh, Schrader's book, uh, mm-hmm. Transcendental Style and Film. He says, there has to be a decisive action that breaks the everyday stylization. It's an incredible event within the banal mm-hmm. reality, which must be, you know, and mu- which must by and large be taken on faith, right? So, for example, in its most drastic form in Dreyer's film or debt, this decisive action actually becomes a miracle. It's like the mm-hmm. raising of the dead. And in a, in a less drastic form, it is still somewhat miraculous. It's a non-objective emotional event within this factual emotionless environment that's been created. So the technical stops employed by the everyday 
are to varying degrees pulled out. The music soars, the characters emote, and the decisive action suddenly and inexplicably, inexplicably demands the viewer's full emotional output. It's a, it's a, a, so Mary coming in and kissing him at the end is a resurrection moment. It's a cathartic moment. Mm -hmm. It's that moment that brings us out of what this, you know, this sort of banal everyday kind of world that he has created. And he does that through his style. Jeff, there's one camera move in this whole movie. It's a it's a dolly shot at the very beginning as the opening credits go, it dollies into the church and that's it. Everything else is on sticks. It's static. Mm -hmm. Static shots. Camera does not move. There's no sound effects. There's very little music. You know, it, it's it's just there. It's just it's just present. It's it's every day, right? Um, there's no tricks. It's just he's just letting that world unfold. And the only real emotional moment that we have is is that is that ending moment. It's that's the decisive action. And so, yeah, at the at the end of this, I just go, man, it's it's perfect example of what he has always professed. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that the transcendental style should and can do mm -hmm. within cinema, and so yeah, I I love it. I think you know it it, it echoes uh, Dreyer's Odette. If you've never seen that film, mm -hmm. I challenge you to to go look that up. It's quite disturbing uh, and interesting, and basically nothing happens in that movie. Uh, you know, from a cinema technical standpoint until the very end scene also Bresson's diary of a country priest as well as Bergman's winter light all of those films deal with some sort of pastor or reverend mm -hmm. character uh in winter light the the pastor's also lost his son and so that you know there's a lot of sort of uh, uh homages there that are echoing that work but really it's just falling under this transcendental style that uh schrader has outlined and 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 puts into praxis right but but you know when you're dealing with the quotidian right like mm -hmm. you're, which is what he's he, he he's let me see if i can get this my, my mind around this quite right so using the everyday right but he still is making a point about an inciting incident of some sort. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's the Iraq War. In the Card Counters yeah. case, it's Abu Ghraib. It's Abu Ghraib. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the inciting incident. It seems, you know, uh, on on casual thought, it's just like, well, it's just the inciting incident. It gets us from you know from A to B. But when you actually sit down, and start think about, it, it's just like, no, no, no. He's talking about something else here. Like this is this is a much bigger uh, uh, endemic. You, you know, issue or problem. And this is a great magic trick because it's just like he is, he's, he's giving you all this food to chew on, but yet he's still giving you, man, there's still leftovers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yep. and this is so difficult to do that, you know, from, from, a, from just a, a storytelling aspect of things where it's just like, how do you make the everyday seem non, you know, non-trivial like how how do you how do you get it right and in in again his one of his devices is is having that inciting incident that you know yes. that you were talking about to to get you to get you going yeah um it's i i don't know it's just there's something about his skill as a writer maybe it was you know his 
his exposure to seminary. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it, it just caused him to see the world a little differently and to appreciate the fact that, you know, our seemingly trivial everyday moments actually do have larger implications and connections. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to sort of dramatic, you know, make a dramatic uh, structure out of that. Um, but it all builds, you know, it, it, it all builds. And there's this, there's this, and, and he gives you little clues, Jeff through, I don't know what he does in card counter, but I'm sure he's got some kind of a little trick and first reformed. I argue that it's the whiskey glass because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Reverend Toller is, is an alcoholic and he's drinking another, another trope of, of Schrader's. Yep. Uh, and, and he's drinking whiskey until he, you know, um, it starts getting an upset stomach. And so then you start to see him pouring Pepto-Bismol into mm-hmm. the whiskey glass with his whiskey. And there's a really nice detail shot of like, it's still, but it's, it's, it's a detail shot of just the swirling of the pink Pepto, like into the, into the glass mixing with what's originally there. And then mm-hmm. of course, Right after that, you find out he's he's got a tumor actually, and so that's mm-hmm. what's causing all this. And there, you can't be drinking; you got to stop drinking. And so, at the very end, that glass comes back, Jeff, and it's the same detail shot. And this time, it's the it's the liquidy mm-hmm. Drano and the 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 bubbles and the and it's the poison. It's, yeah, it's the poison. Yeah. Um, same know, he's glass. Gone, he's gone from the legal poison to the, to, you know, to the right to the, the most lethal poison. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Again, that's just comp. That's just that's just such smart composition in general, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's damn near literary yes. as far as like doing that. And and I say that too because I, I I was thinking about the show this week and and I was finishing up Stephen King's latest book. Um and and uh, uh you know Schrader and King both are obsessed with with alcoholism. Yeah, because they were alcoholics and they've both yeah. been sober for a long time now. Right, Schrader's was right. more cocaine than alcohol, but you know, yes. Uh, yes. but they they've both been sober a long time, and this comes through in all of their work. You know, it's just like King, especially. I mean, he's just it's kind of like the it, it almost becomes like a religious mantra to him. He has to keep writing about alcoholics. He has yes. to keep writing about the dangers uh, inherent you know, in it to remind himself, right? Uh, well, this is what can happen to me. Mm-hmm. I've been here. I've done this. And that comes through in Trader's work too, you know, where it's just like all of these people dancing these, you know, dances with things. And that again, like I was talking about earlier, it's just like, we have this story, but then we've got these leftovers, these wonderful leftovers to, you know, go back and, and to think about. Well, they, I think it's smart too, because it, it, it gives it a historical context um, that causes reflection as well, because I think, I think that the common thread is, is addiction Mm -hmm. and um, you know, the, the, this idea of, you know, this, this conflict of, well, what's worse, right? Like bringing a child into the world, which is something that's full of hope or, Mm -hmm having a child taken from you, which is of course, creation of despair. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about that in the context of war, mm-hmm. the Iraq war and all the war. children that were killed needlessly and, right. and sending kids off to war mm-hmm. and all, you know, and of course Schrader lived through the Vietnam era as well. And, and um, you know, you, you just, you see that. And it's just, so you're right. It's like this extra layer of fodder that you can pull out um of uh you know of, of reflection and contemplation um you know that 
that these are larger universal issues that can really be applied to all these different aspects um, of, of existence. And so these little things that are seemingly like small plot devices, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, he had a, a kid in Iraq that died or whatever. Well, no, actually that that becomes a great counterpoint to like something else that gets developed. And so it's, it's such good writing, you know? And so that's what makes me kind of envious of him, you know, because mm-hmm. he's, he's not only got such a great visual sense of like composition, stillness. Like, I love that. I love when cameras can just sit and be still and they don't have to move anywhere. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're so obsessed with camera movement these days. And I just, I just love to always go, why what's what's wrong with just having a still shot like there's nothing wrong with that it just it, it allows the audience to enter the world and take mm-hmm. a breath and really pay attention to like what's composed in front of them right mm-hmm. but it starts with the writing and so that's where i think he's got the he's got the one-two punch you know because he creates mm-hmm. these great layered scripts that really you know there, there's no big action scene there's no big you know there's mm-hmm. it doesn't need it right it's he's um, he's able to pull out those little small elements of our everyday life and show us how meaningful they really are and how sort of significant some of these arguably insignificant things that we choose to do every day are having larger mm-hmm. universal kinds of, of, of effects. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a shout out here um, to, to Godard who, who died oh, you know, yeah, earlier this away. week, but Godard was famous for saying, a movie has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But what makes it a movie is that they won't necessarily happen in that order. And so, <laughs> I <laughs> love that guy. But uh, um, the cinematic experience is becoming more and more of a niche kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's a contained experience. You know, you can have that moment in ninety minutes or two hours, and and you're done. You know, there's there's you don't have to go back to it and watch season five or season, you know, it's you're done. That's it. Um, and and I think there's a there's a beauty in that that we've that we've arguably forgotten, Jeff. And I'm I'm arguing that we that we remember it and return to it. So go watch stuff. God. Yeah. Go to the and go to the go to the go to the movie. Go to AMC. Go yes. go. Go. Just go. Just, just get out. Just do have that like. communal experience that right. we were talking and, and, about at the beginning. Yeah. What we like to do is we'll just go and pick something, like you know, without having seen a trailer or anything. I mean, just like we were talking about VHS boxes last week, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, let's do that one. You know, what's playing at two thirty? Like we will, we'll sit down and literally, say, is there something playing at two thirty? Okay, well, let's go. That's right. Uh, it's just, it should be, it should be just that spontaneity. And then, and then you never see what, what bounces back and you may love it. You may hate it. Doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but you're going to be talking about it afterwards. And that's, that's the whole point. That's what it's supposed to engender. So that's when you, that's when you crack a six pack kids and <laughs> let the hair of the dog that bit you. Oh, wait, I'm just, I'm kind of alluding to my night tonight. Um, <laughs> The Advil. I'm with you. I'm with you. The I'm Advil you. is kicking in. Woo! All right. Uh, well, you can get in touch with us a number of ways. Uh, you can email us uh, lonelyphds at gmail.com. You can click uh, on the link to our Discord in our show notes. It's where we post all kinds of information about the show. Uh, and we're happy to chat with you uh, over there. Um, and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Google, Apple, or wherever you get your streaming uh, concerns from. But we're not on Spotify. I, I did clarify that last week. 
uh, for well, personal reasons, quite honestly, and I don't mind saying them. Uh, I just despise <laughs> that company and I will not uh, patronage them uh, at all. Uh, ooh, political. Uh, way to go. Way to go, Dr. Hayes. Um, <laughs> you lost millions. We got to stand with for something, right? I mean, we, we all do, have to we, stand. Unfortunately, for yes, we do have to stand <laughs> for something sometimes. <laughs> against my better judgment probably in the long run but right. that's okay too i'm no one's whore sir that's right oh my goodness well uh until next time i'm dr jeffrey hayes i'm dr joseph watson we'll see you then 